This is it. The putt to win the tournament. If you sink it, the championship is yours. But on your backswing, your hat falls over your eyes. Is this how you're running your business? Poor visibility because you're still relying on spreadsheets and outdated finance software? To see the full picture, you need to upgrade to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system to power your growth. With visibility and control of your financials, inventory, HR, planning, budget, and more, NetSuite is everything you need to grow, all in one place. With NetSuite, you can automate your processes and close your books in no time while staying well ahead of your competition. 93% of surveyed businesses increased their visibility and control after upgrading to NetSuite. Over 27,000 businesses already use NetSuite. And right now, through the end of the year, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind financing program to those ready to upgrade at NetSuite.com slash C-Suite. Head to NetSuite.com slash C-Suite for special end-of-year financing on the number one financial system for growing businesses. NetSuite.com slash C-Suite. It's been said that people run systems and the systems run their businesses. Thoughts and beliefs run people. It's all about why we do what we do, what we attribute importance to, what drives us, how we frame the decisions we make, how we feel, and how we think. So much of our success in life and in business is about what we believe in our hearts and what's inside our brain. In business, I call this the small biz brain. Small Biz America. The Brain. Our guest on this segment believes that your life is a gift and taking responsibility for it means you take the opportunity to create your own future. Tom Dutta is a senior business leader, speaker, and international number one best-selling author with more than 30 years experience helping build and grow companies in Canada and in the U.S., he brings leadership experience from financial services, IT, telco, non-for-profit, and the health sectors. With a career including senior roles in many of Canada's prestigious companies, including president and CEO, chairman of the board. He's also the host and executive producer of the Quiet Warrior Internet Radio Show. We're going to hear more about that as well. Tom received the William Shatner Moving America Forward Award for his TV show and the 2018 Courage to Come Back Certificate of Nomination finalist for his incredible story. His purpose is to unleash the greatness in others. Finally, his recent book, The Way of the Quiet Warrior, 90 Days to the Life You Desire is a powerful book where you can find the hero within you. Joining us on the line from Canada is author, speaker, and business leader, Tom Dutta. Tom, welcome to the program. Oh, hey, David. It's awesome to be here. How's it going, eh? <laughs> it's going great, you Canadian friend, you. Oh, oh Canada. So uh, I'm in a very interesting position because I'm very, uh, I've gotten to know you well through this process of not only uh, reading, I'm probably honestly about three quarters through uh, your book, The Way of the Quiet Warrior, which was recently released by Morgan James Publishing. And I had the privilege of working on the audiobook version of it. So I, I have this interesting position where I have insight. And as I read this, and as I read this, and I think I've said this to you offline, I feel as though I know you in a way that, that even through conversation couldn't have occurred. The format for this book, Tom, is really 
what strikes me is so remarkable, and I know some of uh, others who have read it have said that this way that you interleave, or uh, I think one called it a hybrid format, where you're you're having these metaphoric sort of uh, uh, quasi-fictional stories that that sort of demonstrate a dimension of an experience you had, not exactly, and then you launch into with the following chapter into a more um, how shall I say uh, helpful narrative about what it meant and 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 just grabbing hold of it in a way that's more instructive and sort of a I'll call it a formula. I don't like that word, but how did you arrive at this formula? Well, thanks, David. And you know, maybe maybe we should just start with the introduction. I was. Listening Listen to the introduction. I got to tell you about 20 years ago when I used to hear that, I used to think, are you talking about me? And, <laughs> yeah. and did you know that one of the top syndromes that I would say most CEOs, top leaders struggle with is called imposter syndrome? Yeah. And, uh, you know, I can sense in your studio, you're probably nodding your head. But the reality is, is that top leaders throughout their life, you know, that's how they introduce themselves, David. When I'm put on a stage or a mic, sometimes they'll say, tell us about yourself. And this is the old way I used to introduce myself. I used to say, my name is Tom Dutta and I'm a senior business leader and, you know, I build and grow companies. I've done that in two countries and it's great. And I love people, everything you said. And then so, but here's the truth, David, is that I was hiding behind my true story and the backstory, which I'll bring that back to the book in a moment is really the magic. And so I want to tease you and just tell you how I introduce myself today. Let's do it using the authentic Tom. So here we go. So, you know, David, it's a pleasure to be on your show. I, you know what, let me take you back to where it all started. Uh, My mom and dad, by the way, were born in the Fiji islands and Mm. my grandparents date back to India. And so I was born on a military base in the UK and traveled to this country of Canada at an early age of four or five. And so my parents were amazing parents. I love my parents, but you know what? Let me tell you a little bit about my dad, because behind every leader is a, is a bit of a story. My dad was a militaristic taskmaster. You know, David, he was a sloppy drunk. He, he passed out on the lawns of others. Mm-hmm. He never hit as many adulterous affairs. And, you know, my father hit me. He belittled me. And on one night, he became almost a murderer, almost killing a woman and child, broadsiding them in a car. But the thing is, is like, like most, most people who come from where I did in my youth, he was my father, the only one I had. And I guess I learned that was my upbringing. So I left home, David. I, you know, I, I, I went through all this stuff. And I guess back then, if you were to give me a nickname, I'd say I was the black and blue kid. And I had two brothers. I left home at age 15 or 16 to start my own life. And here's the great thing. I, I took the rules that you know, came with me through that experience with my dad, mm-hmm. climbed the corporate ladder fast, became a manager at the early age of 21, a vice president, CEO, chair of the board, all that kind of stuff. But I learned probably in the first 10 years that many of those rules that I was using in toxic relationships really didn't apply to healthy relationships. So I like to laugh about this. I'll say to people that, you know what, I became a CEO and they'll say, wow, Tom, you've been really successful. And on the outside, you know, we had the million dollar home and wow, we had the, I have a beautiful wife and children and family, but I started noticing a pattern in myself and falling into what I called the leadership graveyard or the life graveyard Hmm. in the early years. And what was more interesting, David, if I was working with people like yourself, sometimes I'd see that pattern in others. And so I went on a 10-year journey and I decided, you know what, I've got to change. I've got to find this. I had a coach 
I think I was age 31 when I became a CEO and this woman was a psychologist. And yeah. I got to tell you, the story was I was, I became a CEO at 31. I didn't know what it was. And right. uh, it was an American company and I ran the Canadian side of it. It was a about a $290 billion company, David. And there I was little Tommy and I'm sitting in the CEO chair and they give me this coach. I didn't even know what to do with her. And part of me said, I don't need a coach. You know, I know what I'm doing. Right. And well, she followed me around and uh, one day in a boardroom, if you can just picture it around a table, there was her and I, you know, the curtains were open. It was a beautiful sunny day in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada here, this blue sky. And she started giving me some tough feedback. She says, you know what? She said, we just did a 360 survey of you. And this is what people are saying about you. Now, I got to warn you, David, that when I tell this story today as a person who develops other people, they go, really, Tom, that was you? I can't imagine that you were like that. And so she said, you know, there's many positives. Let's talk about strengths first. And then she said, but here's the thing. People think that you're grandstanding, that you're arrogant and insensitive. She said, you know, people, if you're going to be a leader here, you're going to need to change. And first thing, first thing I did when I got that feedback, and, you know, if you've ever known anybody who's got a 360, I always like to say, David, you know, be prepared to get whacked. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah. you're going to get Bell's yeah. feedback. Yeah. Well, she broke me in that conversation. I started tearing up and I, I cried. I broke down and the board of the company said, Tom, if you're going to be the man, you're going to need to make some changes. Mm-hmm. And that was the beginning of the 10 year uh, adventure. I went on to really discover the demons that my father gave me really were gifts, but I didn't know how to use them. I didn't know how to turn them into empowerment tools. And quite frankly, I, my first marriage failed and I was losing my first CEO job and I was blind to all of that. And that really brought me through this area of development. I started working on my stuff and that came full circle back to, to the book. We can get into the book more, but I just, sure. wanted to, just wanted to tell you that when you introduced me, I was, I was honored, but I was going like, dude, you missed a part of the story. <laughs> Well, I was saving the best for the meat of the show, you might say, I guess. But, uh, but I, I mean, this is what I love about you is your ability to to tell that story. I mean, this is what the book does, and I think that it's it's yours to say. Not I, I couldn't give the story in the context of a podcast the um, the depth and the uh, the emotional depth, and uh, do it in a way that's as real as you could do. So. So you might say that I did the, what we'll call the canned intro and then you come in with the real story. And I'm completely comfortable with that. And in fact, I love the fact that you took, you know, this sort of uh, prefabricated intro and then flagged it and said, no, that's not really me. That's the imposter in me or however you, t- <laughs> you have accomplished all of these things. And it's funny that you mentioned this because as a podcast producer, I often say to, to, to the people that I'm coaching about this stuff, don't read a long laundry list of everything they've done in their lives. That's not who they are. You know, yeah. and so well, I may have broken my own rule there, but, um, well, you know, it's I got the stage for you though. So that's good. Well, well, thanks, Steve. And I have to honor you because therein lies the metaphor, this great conversation between you and I lies the, in lies the metaphor in corporate America about leadership. We where leaders are taught to be, not to be vulnerable, to withhold vulnerability mm-hmm. and, and they're introduced in a way and they stand on stage and they pump out their chest sometimes and they hold a microphone, yeah, right. but that, but that's the, that's the society that we live in. But the truth is 
I have a good friend who's in the United States. Uh, we have many friends in America, including you now. Yeah. And uh, he's a teacher in Ohio in the university. And he said, Tom, he says, I got to tell you, he said, half of my classroom are full of youth who are the future leaders of our countries, but they're broken. And I said, well, what do you mean? And he said, well, he said, Tom, he said, through no fault of their own, these these leaders are coming into the world innocent. You know, David, we're all born innocent, right? We have... I learned that we had some. We have something like two million neurons in our heads when we come out of the womb, yeah. and there's there's no thoughts or anything attached to those. And we start associating a thought with a meaning. So, for example, if mom's right. holding you and she's smiling, we wire that together, and that's part of our blueprint. Yep. Uh, but he said he said many of these leaders I'm mentoring and teaching are from broken homes, uh, traumatic backgrounds, alcoholic parents like myself. Yeah. And he said the thing is is that they show up on the doorstep of business, and you know what? You can't send them back like a package of goods and say it's damaged. You have to mentor and lead them and draw out the greatness in them because they don't know how. And I went, wow. You know, in the first third of my life and my career, I wish I had mentors in my life in business who were like that. Mm-hmm. So what I decided to do is take the body of work from my, my life and we'll take now the your intro and just kind of bring it back to the book and, and do something with it. Sure. So, so David, what really happened to me is after my marriage failed and I started struggling in my, my corporate career, people said on the outside, you know, that it looked good as I went on this adventure and I discovered some things about myself and in corporate America, my nickname was Tommy Gunn. And uh, I like to have fun, fun with that because I have a, uh, for the first time, I've got a couple tattoos. I got them a couple years ago on each of my shoulders. One is uh, this Q and it's got Tommy Gunn written under it. And we'll bring that back to the book story. And so Tommy Gunn was a guy who was hired to build and grow companies, boards and managers would hire me sometimes to come in and clean up the crap or deal with toxic cultures or deal with guys like me who weren't leading authentically and bringing people together. They were destroying culture. And I went, wow. So when I decided to write the book, the first thing I got to tell you is that when I was a kid uh, in elementary school, I used to write book reports. My father used to collect them all. My dad died in January. And so I want to leave this talk as a legacy to him. I love my dad. And, and so you know, he used to look at my book reports and they all had like a plus, plus, plus. So I was your typical overachieving kid. Why? Well, because I never had the love from my dad. So I was always searching for it by overachieving. And when I did reach the next level, something was still missing. And so I kept writing these book reports. And then my dad said, you know, I collected these and he says, Tom, you, you, these are amazing. And my teachers would say the same And I thought I should be a writer. And then I wrote a poem and I wasn't big into poetry, but my poem was written on an eight and a half by 11 piece of paper on one of those old Olympia typewriters dating myself. And uh, I remember those. 55 words a minute, man. I mean, I took typing in school. Many of the execs today can't even peck with one finger. Right, right. And they, my teacher gave it back to me and she put a, a plus and she said, Tom, this is amazing. You should publish it. And it's the, the poem, and I can't find it, but it was called The Brave Dime. And it was about a, a, a store, a corner store, and a cash register had all the coins in it, and they were sleeping. And the bad guy broke in to rob the, rob the store. And this dime woke up. He jimmied open the cash register, let out all the coins to safety. And the story, well, you know the end of the story. <laughs> it was amazing. And back then, I said, you know what? I'd love to be able to write a book, but 
when I got into my corporate career, I was given books by guys like you, thought leaders. Man, when I would go to conferences, these people would give them to me and say, I'm the author. And I went, wow, here goes the imposter syndrome again. I can't believe that you, Mr. Author, are giving me your, your book. Right, I'm, right. I'm it's worried. an egoic, uh, egoic so, forum. Yeah. Right. And what was holding me back was the fear of doing the book. But here's the thing I want to say to your readers and how I broke through that is when I finally discovered the purpose of my book, what it was and linked it to the purpose or vision of my life that I actually developed over 10 years, mm-hmm. the book came to life. And the book is called The Way of the Quiet Warrior. So let me take you back in the story a little bit to Holland, Michigan. Out through this journey of almost 10 years of self-development, I started digging into my past, digging into my, my current leadership and what was manifesting from the past. And I started realizing there's got to be a true meaning of my dad. What were those things he did to me? Because my old narrative was, woe is me. My dad, you know, beat on me. My life never worked out. And that was playing in my hard drive. You see, most leaders, it's wired into their subconscious. So you and I, David, could be sitting in a room together like this. And all of a sudden, you could do something. And I say, that thing over there looks a lot like my dad. And I start blocking you. And I start doing things to push you away. And this was happening in leadership, why I couldn't gel teams. And so... Ah. So I just want to bring that up to make sure I understand. So you'd see a quality in someone that would remind you or trigger that I'll call it a defense mechanism or a block out. Okay. A negative emotion of some kind. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's a chapter in the book where we talk about a character. I think her name was Sonia, but uh, that would actually is a fictional chapter written about my relationship with my new, my wife, who's now 22 years. Yeah. She used to, she was a, she's a bank manager. She, when I first met her, she would go out and have drinks with the guys and I would get bent out of shape when she came home, even after two drinks. Why that story? Yep. Mm-hmm. Because when dad had drinks, he had affairs and he did some pretty stupid things and he heard. Right. And right. so Sonia became in my eyes, my father. And I right. started blocking that until I unraveled it. So coming back to the book, wow. I had all this fear. And the first thing is that the fear of how do you write a book? I don't have enough money. And that was just playing. As soon as I discovered here, here, David is my true purpose. Now this, this is sort of my journey of 10 years. When people say, what do you do? I used to say I'm a senior business executive. <laughs> right. What do you now, now <laughs> my purpose is to unleash the greatness from within others. That's my purpose. And not only to unleash the greatness within others, but to help others like me take their demons and turn them into their gifts. Because I'm the only guy on the planet who's empowered with my story to help you see that. So when I sit down and coach leaders, they see in me a mirror. They see a mirror of themselves. And I, in my book, I cover many stories from my travels, but I bet you anybody who reads my book will find something in it. And this is happening. We're getting reviews and people are saying, man, yeah. I read your book and it stopped me in my tracks because that one paragraph, man, that's my story. And that gives me hope. So back to the writing of the book, I still couldn't get it done. So I traveled to Holland, Michigan and spent a day with a mentor and his name was John. And John, when I was leaving, he said, okay, Tom, now that we've got your, your business, your leadership development business mapped out for you to launch, and, yeah. and this is where I developed a six-step formula on how to move people from where they are in their life to the future life they desire. That's really the core of the book. And I came back, and he gave me, I was leaving, another book of his, and it was, it was called Thought Leaders. And he said, Tom, you got to write a book. He said, because you're a thought leader, dude. And mm-hmm. he said, 
your book should be the calling card to your business. And that's my first lesson is my book's not about money. It's about purpose. In fact, all the royalties from my book, I give to homelessness, mental health causes. Beautiful thing. Yeah. Thank you. But the thing about my book is, is that it is the calling card, David, to my passion and my purpose. Whoever gets my book anywhere in the world, online or offline, my book's going to help them. It's going to connect them back to the work I do in people development. And I thought, wow. So I came back home and I was kind of depressed and I got off the plane. I said, I don't have a clue how I'm going to go about writing this book. Some guy just told me I need to write it. So I got on LinkedIn and this is how I am. And I put in a keyword and the keyword was author and up came 10 names. And the one at the top, this woman, I clicked on her profile and opened her book. And oh my God, David, in the first five minutes, I was stunned at what I read. And it's like, holy crap, I've got to meet this woman. So I stalked her. I called her. I, I messaged her. She wouldn't get back to me. And finally, I was about six weeks later, David, we met yeah. at a Starbucks. Yeah. And I can just set the stage for you. I'm sitting there at the back of the Starbucks where the right. washrooms are, sitting, looking across the slate tiles at the front doors. And in walks this little woman. Yep. And she comes up to me and she sits down. She says, hi, we get our coffees. And she says, she leans forward. She says, do you see, see anything odd about my face? And I said, you, and I started wow. noticing. She said, there's seven plates of metal in my face. Oh, my gosh. And she was a beautiful woman on the inside and outside, but used to be more attractive. And I said, oh, my God. Mm -hmm. She said, you'll know why I don't meet men very often like this for coffee. And I said, well, tell me more. She said, well, you see these little slits beside my eyes? She said, that's where he took his thumbs and tried to gouge my eyeballs out. Oh my God. And my stomach was in knots. And all of a sudden I started feeling this fear when seeing my father. And I said, well, wait a minute. I said, so tell me, she said, I was married into an arranged marriage from the Indian community. And she said, my husband who now, who late, who passed away, he tried to murder me over and over in front of my kids. He poured gasoline on her. He did on me. He did this. He did that. And she said, the reason why I wanted to meet you, Tom, is because you told me you're a CEO and she said, I don't know why you're meeting me, but something tells me you have a story. And she said, you need to go on stage and tell your story. She said, you know why you need to do that? Because men will never tell that story. Ah. And, and she said, Tom, go home and start writing. She said, I don't have any money, but she said, send me your pages. And she kept bugging me. She said, are you writing yet? Are you writing? And, she, and I said to her, I said, you know what, Kamal, and that's her name, Kamal Dillon. I said, Kamal, I am so inspired by you, but I said, my purpose behind my book is already set. It's to unleash greatness within leaders to help them discover the limitations in their characters to become indomitable leaders and be more happy from the inside out. Yeah. But I said, I'm fearful of writing it because what are they going to say if they say that guy, well, he was weak at one point in his life. What are they going to say about me? So I went on my way and started writing my book and the, the next lesson learned was I still didn't know how to do it. And I learned this as a CEO, David, that you surround yourself with people smarter than you. So I got connected to a few people and one guy knew another person who wrote fiction mm -hmm. and I knew how to write business. And when it all came together, I had this team around me that were smarter than me, but brought the greatness of my book to life. And I'll tell you why we wrote it as a hybrid fable and business book. And I hate business books. I hate to say that, but I'm an executive and I don't like reading them because they're boring. But I read a book a long time ago by Patrick Lencioni. You know who he is? I haven't heard his name before, actually. 
All right. Well, he's first of all, my wife's Italian, so he's got to be good because he's Italian. (laughs) Right. And so his book, he wrote the book, two books that I remember. The one I read was called The Five Temptations of a CEO. And the second Uh, one was called The Five Five, um, Dysfunctions of a Team. They became mm -hmm. number one bestsellers in America. He's an American Italian, I think. What I remember when I read Lencioni's first book is I couldn't put it down. I read it in one sitting. And you know why? Because he wrote it as a fable. It wasn't a bunch of facts. Yeah, it wasn't boom, 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 no. boom, boom, boom. Here's how, here's how, do this, do this. Totally. Yeah. And here's, here's the brilliant part about this. We are yeah. wired, and CEOs, I want you to listen to what I'm saying here. We are yeah. wired to tell stories. Our brains are wired for, to tell narratives. And actually, if you are a leader standing on stage and talking to your teams about your vision, your company, your passion, if you use facts, they don't remember it. If you weave it into a story, they'll remember it forever. Sure. Absolutely. makes sense completely because there's an emotional registration that you cannot get. You might even argue that this little, we were joking about the intro I did. I could have told a story. It was better that you told the story, but that would be a, a technique I could use to make this programming more effective because of the wiring we are for stories. So that's huge right there. Thank you. Yeah. No, thank you. And, no, and so this whole narrative of storytelling was in my head. So when we started writing the book, yeah. I called up uh, one of my team and I said, I got a weird thought here. And, you know, I go to sleep at night and I wake up in the morning and it's a technique we teach and I have a journal. So to everybody listening, no matter what dumb idea comes up, write it down because you manifest the best when your brain slows down. The brain waves are slower, usually after meditation or when you go to bed. Yeah. And so I'm going like, that. wait, wait a minute. I was Tommy Gunn. Yeah. And by the way, throughout the process I created. I own the IP. I trademarked it. We now have registration to the six steps I created, which now is known as the way of the quiet warrior. It's a a coaching formula, a success formula Mm -hmm. based on my life story going from uh, dysfunction to happiness and success. And when we're going through that, I remember saying to John, John said to me over that night over coffee or over a cocktail before we did that day together, he said, tell me what you do. And I said, well, dude, I said, I, I don't know. I said, I just quietly go about my way and help people. I said, I sit in a room and, and my mom used to say, people, they want to talk to you. And in leadership, I was on boards and in the boardrooms and people would just open up and tell me stuff. Yeah. And he, he goes almost like a quiet warrior. I said, that's it. He says, hold on to that. That could be something to do with your first book title. And I went, okay. Yeah. Let's hang on to that. So when we get back to the book itself, and the Lencioni thing about Fable, I called up my book team and I said, this is really bizarre, but I had this thought. I was the the uh, Tommy gun, the corporate CEO, the hard gun. And right. over 10 years, I transformed myself and I came back as the quiet warrior. So I said, what if we wrote the book with these two characters and the narrative of stories throughout it? And we weave that into the business process mm-hmm. that I developed. And they said, I said, is that odd? Is it weird? They said, no, I think you're onto something. So that's how we wrote the book. Right. So we, we have in the book, David, six chapters of the business process. So we don't have a lot of time today. I could deep dive on it another time. Uh, yeah, we'll do another show or we'll, uh, we can refer people to it. Of course, we're talking about the way of the quiet warrior, uh, visiting with the author, Tom Dutta. So uh, those, uh, you can go out to Amazon and find any of the three versions that are available. Anyway, please yeah. continue. 
I just want to remind exactly. Yeah. So, so th- th- thanks for the awesome plug. And that wasn't scripted either. And the, so we have six business chapters in the book, but then we have weaved around it fictional stories. And I said to myself, I want to be like Joseph Campbell's narrative, the hero's journey. Mm-hmm. So you, you've heard of this. Many listeners haven't. I want to just tell you about it quickly that why is it you can remember Star Wars? If you're a Star Wars fan, you can remember it like yesterday. I saw Star Wars when I was 19 years old, uh, 17 years old in the back of my dad's F-350 pickup truck at a drive-in that had a huge screen. The tin can was put on the window with this crappy sound. Dad yep. was full of booze drinking and having a good time in the front seat. And that, But today I can remember Star Wars just like it was yesterday. Well, Joseph Campbell, uh, David, he is one of my mentors. He died and left us a university of research. He died far too early and he studied mythology and religion. And one of his books, which I highly recommend, is The Hero of a Thousand Faces. And Joseph Campbell discovered, uh, I guess going back centuries, studying tribes, that everybody has a story and a narrative. And that throughout our lives, we hear he calls what we call this uh, call to adventure, call to go on a journey. Mm-hmm. And You've heard it many times in your life. I heard it when I was a kid, when I was being downtrodden and beaten on by my father. And I never answered the call. So most people don't. Why? Because they're stuck in the current reality. You're a CEO running your company and you think that's what you should be doing. Your wife's telling you you're drinking too much or you're not, your relationship's not good at home. Well, you're running your company and you just don't have time to stop and hear the call to take this adventure to change. Yeah. So when I, when I started studying Joseph Campbell, I took, I heard the call to adventure when my dad was uh, d- difficult when I was younger. I heard it again when my first marriage ended at, at, at seven years. Mm-hmm. And I heard it again, literally in 2007, when three dramatic events in my life happened, which are in the book, I won't get into them. Okay. And I said, you know what? No more. And usually we hear this call when we're in pain or we have things happening that aren't good. And we say, I've had enough. I need a new pathway. If a CEO, for example, the board meets and says, you know what? You're not doing your job. The company's failing. If the husband who's a lawyer walks out on the wife and leaves her with three children and no income. If your father, when you're younger or mother said, you know what? You'll never be a painter. You're just not good enough. And that's wired into you. And throughout your life, you've never felt good about yourself. You all hear these called as ventures. So, uh, Joe Campbell has the hero's journey narrative and I have it tattooed on my left arm actually. And it's a crest it's in the book. And so we go from the ordinary world. When we hear the call, we say, screw it. I've heard it had enough. I want to change. We go into the cross into the unknown world. We can't see the journey. We can only see the first step. Mm-hmm. And then we go on a discovery and that's what led me for 10 years to discover what the heck is the meaning of what my dad did? Where am I going? Why am I CEO and feeling empty and unhappy? Why did my first wife leave me? Well, it was because of her, because of me, not her. Yet I blamed her most of the time. And so what's the meaning and how can I take this? I came back, David, after about seven years of discovery into the ordinary world. So the, the, the seeker comes back as a shaman or a guide. And these people are all over the world. And when I came back, I said, you know what? I'm now the quiet warrior. And I'm going to continue to do what I do, but in a different way. I transformed my career from being a paid executive to being having my own company to develop leaders, but to develop them in a different way from the inside out to create a higher level of success and happiness. So that's really where the, the book came together in this hero's journey narrative 
why you remember Star Wars? I can remember Luke Skywalker seeing his grandparents' bodies burning in the desert with the smoke billowing and his light speeder hovering beside him. I remember that vividly, and I remember Dad in the truck because yeah. those movies were built on this hero's journey narrative. Hitchcock does the same thing. Many, many movies are built on it because we put David Wolf into the adventure. And so in my book, when you read my book, I hope the uh, readers will say, wow, I can't wait to see what happens next. The first chapter, by the way, is called The Boy and It'll Blow Your Mind. It's about me. It's characterized fictionally. Yep. But I've had people do reviews on it from Canada and USA. You know what? We couldn't wait to see what was around the corner. And right. I've got CEOs and business people calling me saying like, this book needs to be in the hands of people in my leadership team because there's so many lessons in it. So we've been humble, David. You know what? It went from being afraid of writing a book to, I don't know how to do it, to doing it. We broke through and hit number one on uh, Amazon on the early release in Canada and U.S. And I always like to say this. I don't have an ego anymore, but I'm going to try to find it. That on the day when we did, <laughs> we beat out. We beat out Gary Vaynerchuk. We beat out Damon John, the shark. And Brilliant. one that's swelled my heart was Tony Robbins, who is one of my biggest mentors. Right. We were number two. He was number seven in that category. And I went, wow. oh, yeah. Dude, that's beautiful. So yeah, it's a momentary a moment, egoic moment. We're, we're allowed, right? You're allowed to do this, right? Well, and for a moment in time, I said, you know what? If one person, if David reads my book and it helps him discover something, said, my book's a bestseller. It doesn't matter about all that other stuff, but it sure feels good when you get to recognize yourself. Exactly. Tom, I had a question. You know, you're someone who has encountered what I'll just say are pretty extreme circumstances early on that shaped uh, your early belief systems, were, which proved to be not productive for you and hence the transformation. For those of us who may not have had these shock conditions emotionally, but there may be quite, I'll use the word quiet differently, quiet traumas. Do you encounter those in the work you do? Do we all walk around with, with conditionings that, that may not have been these massive events, but they're still subtle, quiet traumas that we're carrying with us. Is that yeah. is there something to that? Yes. Well, let me, let me answer that first by saying that trauma is just one example, David, but there's science behind this of the brain. And I did a lot of studying of quantum physics and science, and I'm not a licensed psychologist, but I know no more than some of the people in that field in this, in that you can't, uh, Albert Einstein said the future lies in our imagination. And yet we can't have a positive thought when we're thinking a negative thought. We can't have them at the same time. The brain can't create the future when it's thinking. Yeah. And so if you go back, you're born, Joe Campbell says you're born into this world gold. And if you think about the Buddhist statue, this golden statue or the Oscars, you're born that way. And then this crust develops on you. <laughs> so I come across, David, I come across people all the time. For example, here's a, here's a true story. I'll try not to mention who it is, but this person okay. is a, a president and CEO of a company locally. And, uh, you know what was his crust or his demon? When he was younger, his his he he had a passion of painting, and his father he drew, he painted a picture for his father, gave it to his father. His father handed it back to him and said, "Forget about this. You'll never do anything with it. You're not good enough." Wow. Now this man is in his sixties. He's president of the company, and 
all his life, he had this passion of painting. He never did it. But in his business, he admitted in his relationships with the people in his business and even in his marriage, he struggled big time because of this one thing. The, the biggest responsibility a parent has, you have, I have to our children is to nurture them, to love them, mm-hmm. to inspire to hold on to their dreams, let them be painters, let them do that one, because who are you to judge? In fact, your passions come from when you're in your first 10 years. And, and a lot of times we've had parents say, you know what, that's stupid, don't do it. So whether you went bankrupt in your life, you lost a business, your wife left here, your husband, you're an alcoholic, your dad beat on, it doesn't matter. I challenge you to do this. And I'm, I've, I'm looking to do a TED talk on this. And it is your demons are your gifts, but everybody has a story. And the reason why, David, you don't know those stories is because there's four in the work I do, there's some of the tools I have are scientific. There's four distinct personalities on the planet. Two of them are wired not to tell the story, to, hold, to, to hide it, withhold it. You have a story. I just The yellow and the white? Just to interject, is the, are those the yellow and the white personalities? The, the way, in, in the personality work that's referenced in my book, we've got the white personality for sure. And then the red personality. Oh, and the red. So the two, I'll call them extremes. I don't know if that's the model, but yeah. 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 And, and it's interesting because those wow. two personalities and racial relationships work well together. And for the readers, you'll see that in my book, I'm talking about motives here. So, you right. know, you can, you can be leading a team of people. And so you ask the question, do I come across David in my book, the stories are all leaders I've met through my lifetime in work. I see them every day. I, in fact, just this morning, because I'm looking to, to do a, a radio interview on my show, the called the quiet warrior show, which I can touch on if you want, we have time. Yeah. We'll put it in the show notes too. So folks can find that show. Mm-hmm. We, I, this guy calls me up, he emails me and he, I've asked him three times. He said, I don't think I could be on your show. I'm not a CEO. He says, I don't think that my story is worthy. And I said, well, tell me about it. And he said, well, I'm an author and I am a leader. I'm not a CEO. And he said, so my, my mom and dad were loving parents. They were great people. But he said, when I was reading your book, something stirred up in me and it was this uncomfortableness and you, you unlock something. And I said, well, tell me about it. He said, well, my father, although they loved us, he never beat me. He didn't do the things your dad did. And by the way, my dad, I love my dad. He was an addicted guy. Yeah. And in the book, the reason why, when I made peace with my dad, I forgave him before he died. I took me all my life to do that. That's another show in itself, David. You know? Yeah. No, I, I, I get it. Authentic leadership comes from forgiveness. But so this guy says to me, he says, but the thing is, I started realizing my dad never told me that he, how, how much he loved me. He never told me how he that I was good enough. He, he didn't know how. And then the story came out that his father was born through the orphanage system and his father had the blueprint wired in him that he was not good enough. And if you know the story of Steve Jobs, the, uh, the, the Apple guy, yep. he created Apple. If you watch the movie, the truth is he was fired from Apple because the dude couldn't get along with people. Right. And why? Because in the first month of life, I think he was adopted and then given away. Exactly. He, that one small thing, which we might think, wow, that get over it, sister. That one small <laughs> nah. thing was, David, those little things are, so here's coming back full circle to me and the work I do with my book. Yeah. Yeah. I have a daughter and two children. And some of my belief systems and how I've operated in the last 20 years of my daughter, I've probably planted some things in her blueprint that will hold her back in her life. Yes. And so when I did my book, I gave it to my daughter when she's 19. And I said, read this. I've never told you the full story. Mm. And this is one of the things my daughter said to me. And I, I have a, it brings a tear. So I have to try and hold it together. All right. um, 
she went away to university three years ago and she sat on my lap and she said, and she's a white personality. She's not, she's uh, about peace and harmony. She doesn't, she loves people, but she's not emotion based. And she said, I said, I'm going to miss you. And she said, yeah, she said, well, well, you were never there because I was always on a plane traveling and I had this, I couldn't cry because I've never been able to get that part of my emotion out until lately. But then she says, um, and then when I gave her the book to read, she said, Aja, which is my, my father in Indian, uh, yeah. when, when I, when the funeral, we did the eulogy, I had to deliver it. It was hard. Oh and boy. That, was, that was just this February. And I was estranged from dad for so long. And she said, you know what Aja told me a long time ago? Cause he used to pick me up. She said, and drive me around in his car, go get me ice cream. And you know, my dad, by the way, was dry from alcohol for 22 years. Oh, so he got clean up till the point when he died, he was 22 years through AA sober. Oh my gosh. And yet we wouldn't, none of us would engage him. And part of that's part of another episode with you, which is yeah. true forgiveness comes from, I used to think forgiveness was forgiving the bad behavior. Forgiveness, everybody is actually to free my father so he can move on, but to free myself, not to forgive him for doing the things he did, but to free myself and forgive. When I forgave my dad, it was at a meeting at a Starbucks last November. Mm -hmm. And the book brought me to that point. My dad loves my book, even though the the first chapter is hard to read and it's about him. Yeah. I forgave my dad. So when we buried my dad, I was at peace, but I have two brothers who never took that journey the way I did. So yeah. when I did the yeah. eulogy, my, we asked my daughter to write something for the eulogy because she was in the other part of the country and she began accounting these stories. And, and she told me privately, she said, you know what? She said, I just said that I'm glad I, you didn't know me when you were younger, because I wasn't very nice to your father. Can you imagine that was like my dad trying to give forgiveness, trying to help. But my daughter grew up seeing me not letting her be part of my father's life for 10 years. My daughter, because I was in pain, not wanting to talk to my dad. And here I was a CEO and a leader. Remember, I'm yeah. paid to bring teams together. Right. It was only the point of forgiveness where I came full circle. And by the way, there's many leaders that I meet who have some story in the past where they're holding on to something and haven't forgiven somebody in their life. And when they show up at work, when you show up as a CEO or a manager, a leader, you show up differently. You can't lead authentically because you're not yourself. When you make that forgiveness, the whole game changes, David. And that's the purpose behind some of the book. In phase one of the way of the quiet warrior process, we call it the self. And there I literally turn people inside out to discover their demons, to find out these limitations. And I'm going to be bold and say this to you that anybody who says to me, ah, all's good. You know, my family life was great. Everything is amazing. Yeah. Uh, I, I call bullshit on them. And I, say I, had, I, I, I want to share something. I had a very close friend who's a wonderful writer. She's a travel writer for many years. She was in Hollywood screenwriter. It doesn't matter. She's got this, like you, this, this intense, intuitive and a lot of stuff, a story and I had exactly that conversation with her. We were walking in the wilderness. We're not far from there. And I said, you know, there's not, this is not too long ago. You know, the family was quiet. We never yelled at each other. There wasn't any major things that I could remember. My parents are loving. They're good people, blah, blah. And she called me bullshit. Exactly what you just did. <laughs> and since she did that, which really was like, ah, you know, what am yeah. I missing? That's yeah. what, that was core to the question I asked you earlier. This was coming from me. What's the quiet stuff that I don't know yet that caused the wiring to limit me? You know, that, that thing. So, yeah, exactly. And that, that is the narrative that you, you find. And so I'm going to just say this again as a bold point that there is yeah. a direct correlation from yeah. 
leaders who live in what I call their limitations. So you have strength and limitations. We help yeah. you see those, but there's a direct correlation between business failure and leaders living in their limitations. Let me say again, there's a direct connection between business performance or failure to a leader who is living in their limitations. And people call that blind spots. I don't always like the word blind spot because I believe that many leaders know what they do. They're not blind to it. They may be blind to the impact on their team or people in their lives. Right. But the reality is, is that and Les Brown is one of my favorite speakers and he's got a great narrative himself. Les mm. says, you got to do your stuff. And my message to everybody is, hey, get yourself and get over it. If you got a story and you figure out the demon within you, don't think that you can do some stuff, some work on yourself and stop. Because when you park it, when you park the car, you go backwards. You have to every day continuously be doing that work on your stuff. You know why? Because your subconscious mind, the hard drive, is playing 24-7 while you sleep with the old stories that are That's wired good. in you. It's That's a lifetime of work that you have to do. And every leader, and I use the president of the United States, and I won't mention his name on the show because I don't do that. But here's somebody, when people are knocking and trashing, and I'm just going to say this boldly, I'm a Canadian, I look at him and I get him. I said, get him and get over it. He was in an orphanage. He was treated by a military family. He's a broken man. He's got a bad character. He lives in his limitations. He destroys relationships around him. But he's an indomitable leader in so many ways. If he just worked on his stuff, learned his limitations, and found the antidotes to his arrogance, his insensitivity. But when I look in the mirror at somebody yeah. like him, I my heart grows for a guy like him because I want to coach him. Because part of me says he doesn't know how to communicate and love people. And people like that are broken. And so, I, you know. But yet there's this amazing leadership component to him, which you just alluded to, that we all recognize. How do you get to be president of the United States? Uh, this is not easily done. How do you amass? Well, you know what? He did it, but he's, he's coexisting with this negative, this other piece is the way I'm hearing you. Uh, maybe I'm, I don't mean to speak for you, but. No, I mean, he, he got there because the people who elected them associate with his own narrative. Yeah, I mean, you fall. Look, listen, when there I came out of yeah. when I came out of the the woodwork, and I disclosed through my body of work that this was my story, and I failed yeah. in leadership for a while. The thousands of leaders out there who start knowing about the Quiet Warrior Tom, they're going like, "Dude, that's my story," and I've never wanted to tell it. Mm -hmm. So maybe, just maybe, there's voters out there who are toxic, who have affairs, who have done stupid things, who talk the way he does, or or just make shit up because they're they don't know what they don't know, and they're too arrogant to say I don't know. Right, which is what he does. And he's a red personality. And by the way, reds don't want to look bad in public, so they just make shit up. So when their question is asked of your president about something, he doesn't can't help himself, but he makes stuff up. And then they do the fact checks later. Yep. Well, you know what? Get it and get over it. You put him in power. But there's many good things people like that are still doing. If we just, like my father, we say that the, the demons within my father find the gifts within that. What are the okay. gifts in that person? And how can you take those and empower yourself in the world? The last thing I want to say to you on that is, because you got me going here on my soapbox, David. <laughs> it's, is, a, it's not a soapbox. It's beautiful. Keep I got to tell, tell you this, that 100% of the relationships you are in today are a direct result of the decisions you have made. The yeah. old paradigm is if something doesn't work, it's 50-50. He screwed up. She screwed up. But if we just live by this rule that, you have to walk the path of the other person in your life. Mm -hmm. You have to live and w work to make it a great relationship with them. It's mm -hmm. not up to them to change because you can't change them. And if you can learn to do that in leadership, 
So a typical CEO or a leader will say, ah, you know, things are screwing up around here. We're not meeting our goals or whatever. My team is not A players. I call BS on that. In fact, I did a radio show called Spotting the Prima Donna Leader. It hasn't been released yet. But a prima donna leader says, oh, I just need to have A players, A players who show up at the door and are perfect and that can achieve 90% of the rules. And I say BS because most of the greatness in the world were C and D players who had greatness within them, but leaders who knew how to bring it out of them and bring them into their world, they were became indomitable. Albert Einstein dropped out of school. Facebook creator dropped out of school. You know, we can go as far as you want. Bill Gates dropped out of school. You know, I bet you if you dig deep into Tom Dutta's background, The Quiet Warrior, he doesn't have a formal degree, and yet he lived his life feeling inferior because he thought people were smarter than him. You know what? You don't need to have formal degrees in education. You just have to understand a little bit of what I've been saying in that it's up to you. It's on you to develop the leaders of the world to be great. It's not on them to come into your boardrooms, and here I am. And so the A player thing is just garbage. And I said that on a post on LinkedIn, and I had a whole bunch of millennial leaders going, yeah, I like that. Yeah. The reality is most of us don't come past our youth into the world being A players. We have to develop that with ourselves, but we need leaders who can mentor and coach us. So there's a whole bunch of stuff on there. The radio show itself, I just want to say, is called The yeah. Quiet Warrior Show, David. I, I wanted just to t- touch on that. And yeah, this rounds up, rounds up my body of work. And, uh, you know, I've, I'm inspired by the work that you've done with the work that you're doing as a thought leader. And I said to myself, why don't I create a radio show called The Quiet Warrior so mm-hmm. I can get my voice out there? Mm-hmm. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make it fly its freak flag. So when people call me, people call me and they say, hey, Tom, I want to come on your show. I say, well, first of all, if you're going to come on my show and talk about how great you are and how your company's growing and you've achieved goals and you're innovative in this, you're not going to make the cut. We'll record. I'll love you. I'll give it back to you, but I'm not going to release it. Yeah. If you come on my show and check your ego at the door, which most high success people have and say, this is what I've done with my business this is my passion, but man, getting there, I failed. This is what happened. Yeah. I failed along the way. And, and it's the power in those stories that's authentic. So when we developed the quiet warrior show, the narrative is based on the hero's journey. It is. So I release one episode a week and I do a leadership talk and then I back it up with an interview with a guest. Nice. And all the guests are from anywhere in the world who are average people right up to presidents and CEOs. Interesting. And I'm, so ins- I'm so inspired by it, David, that the people who uh, come on my show afterwards, we, we issue them what's called the, 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 uh, the uh, challenge coin, which were developed oh. in World War II. And oh. so they, they become a part of the tribe of the quiet warriors. They carry this coin with a commitment to living with purpose, action, and the life they truly are happy with. I love it. I recently uh, was asked, and I did it, uh, to come on a show. I had a couple of instances recently, which is relative to what you're saying here, relevant to what you're saying, where I I asked the question, how could I add any value? I really am not in a place right now where I feel I could add any value. And then I just decided, you know what? I'm going to tell my story of what I now refer to as my uh, clever name, the pointless perpetual pivots. (laughs) <laughs> where through my business life, I, I and, and it, it ended up, I got invited to a couple of shows because I, I showed up and I'm like totally over it. And it's just like, you know, I tried to help my brother. That wasn't my role in life. I tried. To, I mean, there's a series of things along yeah. the lines of what you're talking about. where going and not really thinking it would be valuable. 
Uh, I had one woman, she became a podcast client and a live gig I did like that. So I'm here to, I, I got to agree that it's the, 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 um, the honesty, the vulnerability and the stories that I never thought I would tell the failure of my bagel bakery business. I mean, you know, and this one guy did a whole with sound effects and sound design about <laughs> my whole failure, series of failures after a success early, you know, yeah. quote success, whatever the hell that means. I didn't know what it was. So maybe it wasn't a success. Maybe it was just an imposter posing as a success. Yeah. Well, well, well two more quick things. And then, you know, we'll, I, yeah, we'll let it go. Yeah. Right. Uh, the, the first one Perfect. is you use the word, use the word vulnerability. So, yeah, I'm going to ask you and put you on the spot, but don't, don't answer it. No, that's cool. For your, for your listeners, what does that mean? And the biggest fallacy is people think sometimes vulnerability is blubbering, getting a Kleenex and crying or that. That's not vulnerability. Right. Vulnerability is taking a picture of you hugging your dog or your wife posting it on Facebook. Vulnerability is standing up in a boardroom and saying, Mr. Mr. Boss, I don't agree with that direction. I, and here's why I think we should go this way. Vulnerability is how many times do you use the word sorry in your relationship with your spouse? Vulnerability is saying I'm wrong. You know, it's funny. I'm, I'm a Canadian. I got to say this because people think Canadians are kind of weird and weak and, and they use the word sorry too much. And I say this publicly on your show. I use the word sorry, not because I have to, but because it's the right thing to do. Because using the word sorry, when you mess up or you do something that impacts somebody else in a negative way, is a character builder. And it's just the right thing to do. And yeah. the last, last point, and then we'll give it back to you. And Brene Brown said, and she, she started a conversation in America on shame and vulnerability and her TED talk went viral. I've yeah. listened to her books are part of my body of work. Oh, wow. she, she said, you only tell your story to those who are worthy of it. Mm. And she said, when you tell your story to those who are worthy of it, you get to write the next chapter the way you want. Mm. So to all the leaders and people who have listened to me and I coach and I talk about my body, when you discover your demons and the gifts in them, that doesn't mean that you show up everywhere and you blurt your story out. I can tell my story in a group of 12 executives and two of them around the table say, that's my story. So you use your story to empower others, but you find your tribe. And I promise you, David, that you have a tribe. Everybody listening to this has a tribe. When you find it, you become, you go from being a caterpillar to a butterfly. You spread your wings and you live to your highest self. Yeah, so beautiful. Tom Dota, The Way of the Quiet Warrior is his book. Audio just released on uh, audible.com. You can look for that there as well as the printed copy, which I'm looking at. A Thank you for your signed copy, Tom. That's so beautiful. For more about Tom Dota and the work he does, K-R-E-A-T.ca, create.ca with a K, Tom. Uh, we could do this for hours and hours and hours, and I hope we would do it. Thank you so much for joining us on the program. Thank you, David. Thanks for joining us on our journey into the small biz brain. Remember, you can subscribe on iTunes, and please do give us a review there. You can contact me at podcastandradio.com. I'm David Wolf. We'll see you next time.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.